The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Let me invite you now to open up God's Word, and we are opening up to the Gospel of Matthew, and you want to open up to Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 809 if you've grabbed a pew Bible, or uh, hopefully you are in the habit of bringing your Bible from home. And uh, it would be a great time uh, for you to be working through what we've been beginning just last week. Last week we began a new sermon series that we're going to be doing through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 on the famous Sermon on the Mount. And last week we looked at just a, a general introduction to the whole of the sermon in the context of what Jesus is doing, who he is, what he's come to do, in light of the fact that this is his first public teaching block in the Gospel of Matthew, of which there are five total, and this is the first. Uh, Last week we just saw in general, but today we come to uh, another introduction, but this time to a shorter section. We're going to be looking at the beginning of the Beatitudes, and uh, we find them here in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, but as we're looking at that, let me just uh, say what is an obvious truth that everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. Happiness is a natural human impulse that we all have that God has created in us to seek and pursue happiness. Uh, What is unique, of course, about America is that we have uh, that codified in our national documents, the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what's fascinating about that, and oftentimes people point this out, it is the fact that happiness is promised as a pursuit, but it is not promised as a goal. Achieving happiness is not promised to us in the Declaration of Independence. The pursuit of it is, but the achievement of it is not. And in light of the fact that everybody wants to be happy, and I think also in light of the fact that many people are not happy, we have to understand what it means to actually be happy, truly content, or the way the Bible would speak of it is as blessed. Today, uh, we are going to be introduced to the Beatitudes in which Jesus teaches us about not just the the promise of the pursuit of happiness, but the reality of sincerely possessing it in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So, let us pray in preparation for hearing God's word this morning. Our great God, we thank you that as we open the Bible together, that you promise to speak to us. We know, Lord, that the Bible is given to us as your living word. And so I pray that as your spirit so moved Matthew to record these words for us in testimony of the Lord Jesus, that that same spirit might blow upon us, descend upon us, and rest on us, that we might have our minds illuminated to understand and our eyes open to see and our ears open to hear the things that you would teach us today. And so, Lord, speak now in the power and authority of your word, for we are ready to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear uh, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount in the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, especially the Beatitudes. This is the word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and so I would encourage you to keep your Bible open as we consider an introduction to the Beatitudes this morning and this question of the pursuit of happiness. Um, three things that we want to ask of Jesus and really ask of this text and I said that last week we did a general introduction to the Sermon on the Mount and today we're being introduced to the Beatitudes that first primary section and the reason why and I hope this will become clear in the in the forthcoming weeks the reason why we are moving slowly in our approach to the Sermon on the Mount is because of how significant these words are in the context of the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the the public teaching of Jesus, but also how the Sermon on the Mount has become such significant uh, thought and word to so many people, to to the extent that it is so widely known, but perhaps deeply misunderstood, as we saw last week. But we want to Uh, scale this mountain slowly so that we can probe deeply and understand the deep and abiding significance of what Jesus is doing. That as he ascends the mountain and sits down in that authoritative teaching position, he opens his mouth to say these truths to us as disciples, and we must know what they mean. But the Beatitudes in general is this first major section, and we want to ask uh, a few questions. And the first one is, is, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? Obviously, you see this repetition at the beginning of every single Beatitude, which is why the Beatitudes are called thus, because of the translation of the Latin uh, uh, verb beatus, uh, to be blessed. Uh, and, and this is why the Beatitudes are called uh, the Beatitudes. But what does it mean to be blessed? We want to ask that question. And then secondly, in more specific detail, what is Jesus doing in each one of these Beatitudes? And how are they framed? And, and what is Jesus communicating about his kingdom when he makes these declarations about who is blessed? So not only what does it mean, but how does Jesus teach this? And then finally, in really application of this, how can we have that sense of happiness and blessed peace that Jesus speaks of? So we want to know what does it mean, how does Jesus teach this, and, and how can we have it? All those things are, are very, very important. And then as we pursue each one of these Beatitudes individually, uh, we'll be mining deeply to try to understand the significance of what our Lord is saying to us and how we might understand it in our lives as well. So, first, what does it mean to be blessed? 
What does it mean to be blessed? Jesus is talking about the blessed life and where it comes from and what it means. Now, people use the word blessed today in so many different contexts and so many different circumstances and uh, with all the uses of social media and people even joke about it in just their regular vernacular language, hashtag blessed. You know, I'm blessed and I'm so blessed and everyone wants to say, look at what I have, I'm blessed. Look at what I did, I'm blessed. Look at the vacation I went on, I'm blessed, etc., etc. These very superfluous uses of the word blessed that don't really hone in on what the word actually means. So what does it mean to be blessed? Uh, according to the scriptures, not according to the culture, but according to the scriptures. Well, it's, it's somewhat of an interesting road to navigate because the Bible uses various words to describe this one English word that we have for blessed. There are various other Greek words that are used in the New Testament and Hebrew words in the Old Testament, and they're all translated as blessed. And when the English language is being developed, there were over 30 different meanings or uses of this word blessed. And that's why I think there's oftentimes such a confusion. But let me just point out three distinct uses that the Bible uses when it comes to the word blessed. And they're all important to understand, but only one of them is being used by Jesus here. When Jesus uses the word blessed, we must understand what he means. So there are various ways to understand this. The first way of using the word blessed in the Bible is to speak of things as being consecrated, to, to be used the word as consecration. In that sense, we think of something as blessed when it is set apart to God, perhaps by a blood ritual. And it, it is in that sense when people used to speak of the Lord's Supper as a blessed sacrament. It is set apart or consecrated for a very particular purpose or use in the context of a blood ritual, namely the atoning death of Christ. But when we speak of uh, praying before a meal as giving a blessing, it is that sense of consecration. Uh, when I as a pastor have to scream at everybody who's having small talk uh, and say, hey, I'm going to pray, which is like the most awkward thing I do as a pastor to interrupt everybody at one time by yelling quickly to give a blessing it is this sense of consecration we are setting apart both this food and ourselves to be received with thankfulness to God so that's what it means to be blessed as consecrated and that's not what Jesus is talking about here the second sense of the word blessed uh, comes from the, the Latin word uh, benedicere and also a Greek word where we get the English word eulogy from. To bless someone is to eulogize someone, which means to speak well of. And the Bible also uses to bless in that sense when we read about people blessing God in prayer or blessing God in worship. Uh, that would be like Zechariah in Luke 1, verse 68, when he says, Blessed be the God of Israel. That is to speak well of, to praise, and to exalt. Jesus also uses this concept of the bless, to word bless, when he says that we should bless those who persecute you. Meaning that we should not revile them, but that we should speak well of them. To bless, to eulogize, to speak well of. When we speak well of them, we bless them. That is a second sense, but that's again not how Jesus is using this word in the Beatitudes. The third use 
And the way Jesus is using the word blessed comes from the fact that the words bless and blessed were very similar in English pronunciation to the word bliss. Bliss and bless were so close that we're often confabulated together as the same word. And of course, to experience bliss means to be joyful or happy. And so the word to be blessed brought on the connotation, not of consecration, not of speaking well of, but of joy and happiness. And it is this sense of the word blessed, of experiencing delight and experiencing joy and experiencing happiness is the way that Jesus uses the word blessed in the Beatitudes. Uh, It's from the Greek word makairos. And every time a new verse starts, Jesus repeats the same Greek word makairos, blessed, meaning happy, joyful, content, fulfilled, is what this word means. But the problem with that usage, just basically, is that we oftentimes assume that happiness is totally uh, a subjective reality. That is to say that it changes based upon our circumstances. If things are going well for us, we're happy. When the sun is shining, we're joyful. When it's raining outside, we're not so joyful. We're not so happy. Oftentimes, happiness is associated with conditions or subjective realities that change to make us no longer happy. But when Jesus speaks of being blessed, of being happy, of being joyful, of being content, he is not talking about the kind of happiness or joy that that waxes and wanes with the moon, that comes and goes as the seasons do. He is not talking about emotional blessedness, emotional happiness. He is talking about covenantal happiness, covenantal realities. When Jesus uses the word blessed, he is saying that this is what it means to have God's favor upon you. This is what it means to be blessed by God, to enjoy his presence, to know his favor, to experience his kindness, not as the changing experiences of emotional realities, but as the covenantal realities of a faithful God. And so, if we want to be blessed, you have to ask, what is is the opposite of being blessed? If, If blessed means just happy, then the opposite of happy is unhappy. But when Jesus uses this word and says, this is who is blessed, the opposite is those who are not blessed, but who are rather cursed. Jesus is delineating in the Beatitudes who experiences the blessed favor of God and who experiences the curse of God. And if, if you can rewind in your minds a little bit back to remembering the Abrahamic covenant, remember that it was blessing that was a part of God's covenant with Abraham and God's covenant of grace, that he would bless those who come into his covenantal favor and experience the shelter of his covenant grace, and they would be blessed. But to be outside of God's covenant is not just to be unhappy, but to be cursed. Jesus is speaking of his kingdom And who is in that kingdom and the joyful blessing that they experience inside of that kingdom. 
He is saying, here is what life looks like in my kingdom. And if you are in this kingdom, you experience this blessing. And by consequence, if you are outside of this kingdom, you do not. So that is what Jesus is talking about here when he is talking about blessing, not some superfluous, emotional, subjective sense of I'm blessed, I'm not blessed, but rather the covenantal favor of God. So next, we should ask the question, how does Jesus teach us these things? As we look at the text and we see this structure, again, we call these the Beatitudes because of the Latin translation Beatus, which is at the beginning here. Jesus is doing two things in the Beatitudes. He is, of course, he's saying that this is what it means to experience blessing, but he is saying, who is it that is blessed? Who is it that is blessed? And then what does it mean to be blessed by God? Who is the one who is blessed, and what does it mean to be blessed by God? Now, if you look at the text, I want to just point out one structural reality here. Look at verse 3, when Jesus says at the beginning, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be looking at that next week. But I want you to notice at the end that Jesus makes this promise, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you hold that in your mind and look at verse 10, you'll find that Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He repeats the promise of the reality of the blessing of what it means to be blessed in verse 3 and verse 10. And these are called, uh, we could call them bookends, but the formal term is an inclusio. Jesus says, here's what it means to have the kingdom of heaven, In verse 3, here's what it means in verse 10 to have the kingdom of heaven and everything that's sandwiched between that is an expounding upon the reality of what it means to possess God's kingdom, what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. The parallel between verses 3 and 10 to say theirs is the kingdom of heaven is to say here in this whole block of teaching is a reflection on the kingdom of heaven. That is to say, Jesus is describing who the kingdom people are and how they are blessed. And you and I should care deeply about that because we want to know, am I a citizen of this heavenly kingdom? Is Jesus my king? Are these realities that which are true of my life? Because what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is describing what every Christian is to be like. Now that's an important point because I think oftentimes we attempt to get ourselves off the hook by saying, no, Jesus is describing the exceptional Christians here, the really good ones. Or he's describing the the faithfulness of the apostles or some wonderful people throughout history or Pastors are supposed to be like, but not everybody else. Not at all. Jesus is describing citizenship in his kingdom, and that's it. Meaning, this is what it means to be in it. And you'll notice that as you read through these and begin to appreciate what Jesus is talking about, I want us to understand that these beatitudes are not to be divided from one another, meaning to say that it would be wrong to apply the beatitudes by saying, well, I like this one, but that one I'm not so good at. Or this one really applies to me because I'm pretty much better at that one, but this one not so much. 
No, every beatitude is meant to apply to every disciple. Meaning that there is no room for us to hide from one of these beatitudes or the others. In other words, some believers are not called to be meek while others are called to be merciful. No, we are all called to be both meek and merciful and poor in spirit. All the qualities that our Lord sets forth here are intended to be applied to every Christian without exception. Just like Paul's fruits of the Spirit are meant to be seen as a reality in our life. All of them. And Jesus' beatitudes are all to be applied. And this is when we start to kind of wiggle underneath the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're not wiggling a little bit, you're not reading them right. Because Jesus is saying a lot here for us. The Beatitudes are a very important reality. But let me also clarify for us that the Beatitudes are not teaching you how you should go about being blessed. In fact, Jesus is not actually instructing you to do anything in the Beatitudes themselves. They don't indicate conditions that are especially pleasing to God or good for human beings. No one is saying, Jesus is not saying, you're better off for being poor, you're better off for mourning, you're better off for being persecuted, and so on. Then Jesus is also not saying, I recommend these conditions for the good of mankind. No, he is saying, here are some explanations and illustrations of the present availability of the kingdom of God for your life. And hear this very clearly. Jesus singles these things out. Circumstances and realities of life that provide proof that in Jesus Christ there is the hope of a heavenly kingdom that goes beyond the hope of this world. In other words, Jesus is saying... In spite of these earthly conditions, there is blessing for you. In spite of these earthly conditions, meaning not because of them. So you could read it like this. Although you are poor in spirit, you will inherit the kingdom. Although you mourn, not because you mourn, but although you mourn, you will be comforted. And so in that way, the Beatitudes are reversing the values of the world and presenting an ethic for life in the kingdom that is utterly countercultural, where the poor are blessed, the meek inherit the earth, and those who mourn are comforted. Because the world's values do not value God's values. And when God sets forth the realities of his kingdom, it proves that the world has not properly esteemed what it means to be blessed. To be blessed is to be in Jesus' kingdom and to experience that joy and the delight that comes not from our circumstances, but from being in that kingdom. That's what it means to be blessed, and that's what Jesus is doing. And like I said, we will mine each one of these individually, but for now, as we prepare to read these, as we prepare to study them in depth, and I really do hope you will read these at home and and meditate on them and think through them deeply, let me just finally ask the question in terms of application. 
How can, how can we experience this? How can we prepare ourselves to ascend this mountain with Jesus and know and experience this blessing, this pursuit of happiness? Because we know that it doesn't come through fortune and fame and power and, and, and people thinking well of us in a worldly sense. If you want to be happy, if you want to be content, if you want to be joyful, if you want to have uh, the reality of your life uh, be absolutely fulfilled, you can't seek it in the world's ways. You seek it from Jesus, the only true source of happiness. In fact, uh, when Jesus is addressing these things of who is and who is not blessed, the fact of the matter is, is that God's people throughout all of history have constantly misappropriated the pursuit of happiness. They're always looking in the wrong place for it. And so our culture today is no different than the history of Israel, no different than the history of any civilization. In fact, God speaks in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is saying that my people that I have created, the people that I know and the people that I love, the people who I have designed, the people who I know how to satisfy them, they have turned away from me and intend, instead insisted that we know better. We're going to dig our own wells. We're going to dig our own cisterns. We're going to know how to satisfy ourselves. And God says those cisterns have cracks in them and there's holes and they don't hold any water. If you're expending endless energy to be happy and find yourself absolutely miserable, you go on vacation and are worn out by it. You run, run, run to be busy and active and feel like you're being fulfilled and you feel totally exhausted by all of it. God is saying maybe you're searching for it in the wrong place. Everybody wants to be happy, but how should we go about it? What does it consist of? Three things here just briefly about what this happiness consists of so that as we pursue this together we can maybe perhaps commit to these things together to throw off the things that we have previously committed to perhaps in the past what does happiness consist of and how can we know this blessing the first step is in the pursuit of real happiness and I guarantee that you and I know many people who need to hear this including ourselves the first step in the pursuit of happiness is abandoning all hope of trying to find it or create it by our own efforts. The first step of achieving happiness and blessedness is to abandon all hope of trying to find it or create it by our own efforts and instead to receive it as a free gift of God's grace. Happiness is an estate that God blesses us with, not one that we create for ourselves. God is the source of all spiritual blessing, and to have it, it must come from Him. As James says in chapter 1, that all good gifts come from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow or shift or variation of change. All goodness, all blessedness, all joy, all contentment, comes from God. It is not created by us. And so we must abandon the hope of trying to create it for ourselves and instead embrace what God says is the pursuit of happiness in Him. The second thing that we have to do is to realize that the blessing of God in an individual's life, 
the blessing of God to have happiness and joy and contentment in life begins with the reality of receiving and resting upon Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And if I have not embraced Jesus Christ and have not laid my hope upon him, then there is no hope of happiness that is outside of Jesus. There is no eternal contentment or happiness outside of Jesus Christ. There is only broken cisterns that won't hold water. But through Jesus, we have a right standing with God the Father. And this is the kind of happiness that David speaks of in Psalm 32 when he says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. It's not possible to be blessed in a covenantal sense and be outside of gospel embracing faith. We must do that. And then thirdly and finally, we must give ourselves in obedience to Jesus. One of the things that I'm actually really, really thankful for with that Wednesday night Bible study that we've been doing is that the key theme that's jumped out for me is that when you read the Gospels, there's always crowds that are following Jesus. But there's always the disciples amidst the crowd that Jesus is calling people to come out from the crowds and to come closer And when Jesus addresses the Sermon on the Mount, there are many people who are listening. But Jesus is particularly speaking to those who have committed to follow him. We must commit ourselves to learn of Jesus as his disciple rather than just a follower or a blank face in the crowd, but to commit ourselves to come close. Living in the reality and under the reality of the Beatitudes cannot be divorced from a right relationship with Jesus in which we are pursuing him. And here's why, just as a final thought, this is why this is so important. I know as a preacher, okay, that there is a preacher and a sermon. And it is quite possible to dislike the preacher but like the sermon or the opposite, to like the sermon but dislike the preacher. You know, whomever it is, maybe it's me, I don't know. It's possible though, isn't it? But it's not possible when it comes to Jesus. Earthly sermons, you can say, I like him, but what he said, not not so much. Or I didn't like what he said, but he's a nice guy. When it comes to Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot embrace him without embracing his teaching, and you cannot embrace his teaching without truly embracing him. It is all-encompassing. Many will seek riches and fame and power and love and security from worldly things. But Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, you must know me and follow me. And I will tell you what it looks like to experience this covenantal blessing in your life. And I don't know about you, but I want that. And I hope that by God's grace, we will pursue that together as we continue to mine Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount so that we can see a true righteousness that comes from being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your word you give to us uh, the truth of life and the truth of eternity. Lord, we confess that we have often sought our hope and our happiness from other things. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us, that you would teach us to find our contentment in Jesus. And so, Lord, as we commit ourselves to you again, we pray that you would bless us and that we might know that blessing in our life and in the lives of our families, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, 
please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.